Greetings to you from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of the Lord, crying in the wilderness of this life and of this world. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So far in our discussion on hearing from God, we have identified three voices that Christians are likely to listen to. We spoke about the voice of Satan and of his cohorts, the voice of self and of selfish men, and the voice of the Son of God and of his messengers. And because it can be difficult sometimes to differentiate between these voices, we also discussed how to differentiate the voice of God from all these other voices. The differentiating factors we, dis we discussed are one, the message. The message cannot contradict the written word of God as contained in the Bible. And secondly, the messenger, that is, his beliefs, his doctrine, and his lifestyle. And speaking about his lifestyle, we noted that we're not just going to look at his, his own personal lifestyle, but also the lifestyle of his spouse and of his children. And of course, we also want to be uh, certain of the report of um, people who are not believers of him, people that he lives amongst, his neighbors, and so on and so forth, whether he has good report amongst them. Now, when we talk of good report, we're not just saying, we're not just talking of something that is pleasant to the ears. We're talking of something that they say that speaks of him as a Christian. For example, in the case of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, when they were going to uh, try to get Daniel to do something wrong, the um, vice president and um, the, the governors, they realized one thing, that there was only one way by which they could trick Daniel, and that was in the matter of his God. And so they told the king to institute a decree whereby nobody should pray to any god except to the king. Now, knowing that Daniel was going to run foul, they made that decree. And of course, Daniel went ahead and prayed to God and ran foul of the decree. Of course, we know the story that at the end of the day, Daniel was rescued by God. Because when he was thrown into the lion's den, the lions could not eat him and he was, and he was rescued. Now, that, the report of the satraps and of the uh, vice president, is what we call a good report. Now, if on the other hand, we hear a report that says, well, this is, this is a fantastic guy. He, he does not he does not, um, he does not judge. He does not say anything evil about anybody. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't disturb people with um, his message. You know, his message, I mean, it's okay. We are comfortable with him and we're comfortable with this. In fact, he enjoys jokes, he enjoys this. Now, as laudable as that may sound, that is not a good report. That is a bad report. So that's what we are talking about. Now, the, 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 the doctrine, the belief, and the lifestyle of the um, individual who is the messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ must be in consonance with the lifestyle, the doctrine, and the teachings and beliefs of the Lord Jesus Christ. We noted that we need to do some investigation and find out these things about this messenger. We just don't take it on the surface of whatever he says. In the broadcast today, we shall proceed further on the theme of hearing from God as we discuss why we mistaken the voice of man for the voice of God. Why is it that we mistaken the voice of man for the voice of God? Why is it that when some men speak and they claim that they are speaking for God, we buy it hook, line, and sinker? The classical example is what we have been looking at uh, for the past uh, two broadcasts or so now. And that is the story taken from the uh, from First Kings chapter 13. The story of the man of God who was sent from Judah to um, speak against the altar in Israel. 
Now, this man of God, we know that after all that he had done, Jeroboam the king uh, invited him to his palace so that he could be refreshed and rewarded. But the man declined and made clear that God had told him not to eat or drink anything in Israel and that he was not to return the same way he came. Now, this man of God declined Jeroboam but went on ahead uh, to accept the invitation of the old prophet. Now, the question is, why was this man of God able to easily decline Jeroboam's offer and yet was caught in the offer of the old prophet, even though what the old prophet was even offering him was less or next to nothing compared to what Jeroboam was offering him. Number one, Jeroboam, as far as the man of God was concerned, was a known idolater. Not only that, Jeroboam was an opposer of God. In fact, it was because of Jeroboam that the man of God was sent to Israel to speak against the altar that Jeroboam had set up in Samaria. So, it, it, it was very easy for the man of God to decline Jeroboam. To, you see, whenever we are dealing with somebody that is a known Satanist, a known herbalist, somebody whose pedigree as in terms of Christianity is known to us, we know that he is not, he's not a Christian. He may be going to church, but he's not a Christian. He may be calling the name of God, but he is not a Christian. It is very easy for us not to be deceived by such a person. But when it comes to the old prophet, the situation was quite different. And I'm going to read just one verse in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 18. He said unto him, that is, the old prophet said to the man of God, I am a prophet also as thou art. He said, I'm also a prophet. I'm a servant of God as you are. You, you and I are colleagues. You and I are co-servants of the Lord. That, of course, that would throw him off balance. And then he said something else. He, he went on to say, And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. Now, the moment he made mention of, oh, the angel of God spoke to me, and he used a, 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 a particular said, the word, he spoke to me by the word of the Lord. He spoke from the throne room of God. He spoke by God's word. It basically said, God spoke to me. Because the angel claimed was speaking from God. Say, don't worry. I told you not to be, you come ahead, come and eat and drink in my house. But there's also one thing that the Bible noted. The Bible noted, they said, but he lied unto me. God was telling, the, telling us what happened. And that this man of God, this old prophet, lied to the man of God. You see, in the mind of the man of God, the moment the old prophet said, I am a prophet like you, he said, well, a prophet cannot lie. That's number one. Secondly, he said, an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord. So, I mean, how else would he have known? This is the mind of the, the, the man of God. How else would he have known that I'm not supposed to eat and drink in that place? He didn't know that this man of, this old prophet's children were present when those things were happening, that in fact it was the old prophet's children who told the old prophet all that had happened and the old prophet had come to meet, to meet him there and to deceive him. And then when he said, by the word of the Lord, he, 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 when you see there are some words, when he said, thus says the Lord, the Lord is saying so and so to you. We easily buy into it because he is using the right words, the cliches that we are used to. Somebody says to you, praise the Lord. You say, that must be a Christian. 
I recently attended um, a program, and whenever they introduce people, all you will hear them say because it, it, it had the connotation of a Christian uh, function, even though most of the people there were not Christians, and our pastors were invited all the same. Whenever they introduce somebody, they will stand up and say, Praise God. Another one will stand up and say, The Lord is good. Another one will say, The Lord is on his throne. And each time they made those remarks, I had this impression in my spirit that, Who are these people trying to deceive? And we have those kind of things. Once people make those statements, we assume that these are Christians. Many of them are known to be lodge members. They are known to be non-Christians. Yet they use those cliches and we are easily deceived. One factor that the man of God did not take cognizance of was what was it that God was saying. Now, he didn't know what God was saying here. But we know what God was saying because God said, he lied unto him. Had the man of God bothered to seek the face of God, even at that instant, God would have told him, he's lying to you. So like many Christians today, the man of God was deceived. Because, like today, we readily identify a known idolater. We will not be deceived by him. But when it comes to an unknown idolater, an enemy of God that is not known to us, we are deceived. Well, let's, let's look at what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through to verse 19. Philippians chapter 3, from verse 17 through to verse 19. Philippians 3, 17 to 19. It says, Brethren, be followers together of me, this is Paul writing, first by the Spirit of God, and mark them which walk so, as ye have us for an example. Mark those of us who are examples. But then in verse 18 it says, in, in, in parenthesis, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So there are many people. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. They will not, they, they cannot stand suffering. They will not preach about suffering. They will not tell you that you can suffer for the, for, for, for the, for the sake of Christ. They are not going to tell you that persecution is part of the Christian walk with God. They are enemies of the cross. In verse 19 it says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. For who mind earthly things. These people are more interested in what they can gain for themselves here on earth than any other. They are earthly. Everything they do is about this world, is about this earth. So, for these enemies of God, these unknown enemies of God, these unknown idolaters, we readily rely on their unverified personal testimonies. Like the old prophet said, I am also a prophet of God. The man of God did not Try to verify that claim. He just bought into it to clan and sinker. He did not realize that this was a prophet, all right, but he was no longer in the good books of God. He was no longer being used of God. He was a disused prophet of God. But he bought into his personal testimonies and was deceived. We believe their word of knowledge. When he, when he told him something that he said, ah, how would this man have known? He, he, he bought into it. Many of us easily buy into this so-called word of knowledge, which are gleaned from information that they have picked from people who know us or people who have made investigations about us. And then they come and tell us. In fact, I hear so many strange things these days. Sometimes you hear some of these so-called prophets 
telling young ladies the color of their underwear. What has that got to do with prophesying to somebody? Is it a proof that what they are saying is the truth? I, I, I can't understand it. Because one thing I know of is this. If a man is speaking by the word of God, it's just a matter of time. It will be clear whether it is truth or not. So having to come and tell you something about your story and other things does not necessarily mean that that man is speaking by God. Indeed, it may not even mean that he's speaking by God at all. So we need to be very, very mindful of this word of knowledge so-called that many of us buy into and are readily deceived. Then, this, 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 this um, prophet, this old prophet, claimed the authority of God. He didn't claim his own personal authority, which is a good thing. He claimed that he was speaking by the voice of an angel of God. And we easily buy that when he said, God told me this. God said this thing to me. And I am saying it to you. You better believe what I am saying. We buy into these things because they sound like the right things. Yet what they are saying contradicts the word of God. In Galatians chapter 1. And I'm going to read that to us. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 through to verse 9. Paul writing by the spirit of God writes. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that he have received, let him be Accursed. If an angel were to speak to you, a message, give you a message that is contrary to the message that God has given to you, the Bible says that angel, let him be accursed. Now we know that an accursed angel is a demon. There is no angel from the throne room of God that will speak contrary to God. So basically what the Bible is saying here is that anybody, any angel, any spirit that is speaking contrary to the word of God, is an accursed person, is an accursed angel, and is a demon, or speaking from the pit of hell. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, Know we no man after the flesh. We no longer want to know anybody after the flesh. We are not interested in the titles. We're not interested in whether it's an apostle or a prophet. We're not interested in his titles, in the nomenclature, in all the outward things. We just want to know who this man is in the spirit. And the only way we can find out who this man is in the spirit is by turning to God. By listening to God. Indeed, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through to verse 15, I read, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, and so can his ministers. Indeed, the Bible makes, us, makes it clear to us that we should beware of false prophets. It says they come to us in sheep's clothing, but inside of them, they are revenue wolves. So we need to be very careful. We want to know people 
in the spirit, no longer in the flesh, no longer by the titles they carry, no longer by the size of their church, no longer by the affluence that they have, no longer by their speech, but what is God saying about these people? You see, many of us mistaking the voice of man for the voice of God because the messenger sounds like an angel. He speaks the way a minister of the gospel speaks, whatever that might mean. But for us, we have a stereotype, we've made a stereotype, we say, a pastor speaks like this. So definitely, this man must be speaking, uh, this man who is speaking must be a pastor. Sometimes we say, well, he may not be a pastor, but he is a Christian. Why? He sings in the choir of our church. He's a prayer warrior. We know him. In fact, when he prays, his tongues are very deep. And we are deceived. We talk, of, we talk of these people as though we know them, yet all we know of them is in the church. I remember talking to a lady once who got married and she was having problems in the marriage. And I asked, I said, did you pray about it? I said, well, actually she didn't pray. Knowing from where she was coming, she just wanted a quiet person. And this brother was quiet, this brother was calm in church until after she got married. Then she realized that, she, she, well, she said she had made a mistake. Even though she also had her own issues. But the point I'm trying to draw out is that here is that many of us see people on face value. We just see people in church and we assume that they are Christians. And so when they speak to us, we assume that because they are Christians and they are speaking to us, then they must be speaking by the word of God. There are many brothers who, many, many, many men who go to church, they have all the cliches and then they go to a girl and say, Sister, the Lord said that you are my wife. Just because they want to. And the girls, not wanting to find out anything, being, haven't, haven't waited for so long to be married, just lap up into that and say, yes, yes, I will marry you. And they get into trouble. But not what the Bible says. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 1, the Bible says, prove every spirit, whether they be of God. Prove every spirit, whether they be of God. For there are many antichrists, many apostates all over the place these days. And in our generation, we see so much of that happening. It is not so much about the billboard or the good looks of the face that is posted on the billboards or the things on the billboards. But who are these people? By what spirit are they speaking? We've discussed this in the last two broadcasts. It's something that we need to note. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, verse 20 and verse 21, the Bible space says, despise not prophesying. It does, we are not saying that you should discard every prophecy. No, it says, despise not uh, prophesying. Prove all things. Test every single one that comes. Subject them to the test of the word of God. Subject the individuals who are prophesying to the word of God. Hold fast that which is good. The ones that have passed the test, hold fast to those ones. Do not discard those ones. But anyone that fails the test, discard. Another reason why we're mistaking the voice of man for the voice of God is because we say, well, majority are saying the same thing. Majority say so. Majority of these people, I, I, I went to this church, everybody seems to be saying the same thing. But you could be mistaken. In Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, verse 21 and 22. Acts 12, 21 and 22. And upon a set, the herald, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. Because of the eloquence of Herod 
and possibly the, the clothing that he put on, the majesty of the clothing. The people all said, this definitely is the voice of God and not the voice of a man. But we know later that God smote Herod and worms came and ate him. After rigging elections, especially in, in, in Nigeria, politicians who, many of who have no fear of God, you will hear them declare that the people have decided. And they say the voice of the people is the voice of God. Seeking to authenticate a rigged process that has turned them up. They say the voice of the people is the voice of God. For the avoidance of doubt, I want you to know that that statement number one is unscriptural and has no basis in God. Democracy and elections are man's way of choosing their own leaders, their own government. It is not God's way of choosing. But God will work with whatever government is elected. God will work with whatever government is elected. Good or bad, he will work with that government. Look, let me tell you something. God would rather have a bad government than a state of anarchy. Because it is better to have order in a place than have disorder and disarray. So, whenever we are making our choices in a democratic system, God appreciates what we have said. This is how we want to choose our leaders. No problem. But that is not how God chooses leaders. Indeed, if God were to choose leaders the way men would choose, many of us would not even be pastors today. Many of us would not even be ministers of the gospel. People like Paul, or that is Saul of Tarsus, would never have been chosen. Peter, a fisherman, would never have been chosen. So many things like that would never have happened. Christians, nonetheless, even though God is not the one choosing the leaders in a democracy, or even in a communist nation, or in whatever form of government that is being run by whatever nation. God may not have chosen those leaders. Yet, he tells the Christians to make sure that they pray for the leaders. They pray for the nation where they are in. The Bible tells us that when Israel went into captivity, God told Israel in captivity to make sure that they prayed for the peace of the city where they dwelt. Because in the peace of that city, they themselves will have peace. So, there is nothing wrong in praying for the peace of your land, for praying for the leaders of your nation. Indeed, it is required, it is expected that you will do that. That is the proper thing to do. But to now claim that somebody who has been elected through a rigged process is the choice of God is a misnomer. The voice of the people, my brothers and my sisters, is not the voice of I want to look at, I want us to look at Acts chapter 14, and we're going to see another uh, case where people mistaken things and they just make assumptions based on certain other things. Acts chapter 14, verse 8 through to verse 19. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconian, uh, the, yes, the Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and gallants unto the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, 
they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in time in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without weakness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, <coughs> excuse me, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Now let's look at certain things in, in, in this particular story. Paul was preaching, of course, when he was preaching Christ. And um, there was this impotent man, born, lay, born crippled at his feet. And the man was listening to Paul and had faith to receive it. And Paul said to him, jump up, man. And the man jumped up and began to walk. When the people saw what had happened, they said, wow, the gods have come down to man. They have come down to, to, to us in the likeness of men. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they proceeded to make sacrifices unto them, that is, to worship them. Thank God for Barnabas and Paul, which is something that we read, we scarcely see these days. They ran in amongst the people and said, no, 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 that is an idol. This is what we came to preach to you about, that you shouldn't do this. These are vanities, these are sacrifices to idols. We are men like you. We have, touch us, we are flesh and bones. We have blood flowing. We die, we go to the bathroom, we toilet, and so on and so forth. We are ordinary men like you. They tried everything to stop the people. And I think to an extent they succeeded. But then something now happened. When persecution, persecutors now came and motivated the people to attack Barnabas and Paul, they did. They stoned Paul. These were people who had said that they were gods and they stoned them. Now what is the point that we are trying to draw out here? Look, people generally are awed by what defies their own explanation. And they tend to place a special status on the one who brings that phenomenon about. So a pastor has worked a miracle, which by the way, any genuine minister of, of the gospel, miracles are wrought in the name of God, by the authority of God. They may be the ones being used, but we know that it is God who has wrought the miracle through them. So, we, we, we tend to now place a, 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 a what, what's the word I'm looking for now? We, we place a, something upon them, a, 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 a majestic um, kind of uh, thing on them. We, we, we tend to see them as though they are God. But they are not. We do the same with other men. Politicians are revered because we say that they are astute. We say that they, this, this, these are people who know what they are doing. We say that they are astute. They, they, these are strategists. Scientists are given the status of the divine. Because of dis scientific discoveries, by the way, scientific discoveries are things that are, they are just discoveries. They've always been there, but they have discovered it. Thank God for the discoveries, by the way. But that does not place any divinity on them. And we look at men of intellect, and, and we, 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 we tend to place them in a special place with the gods. Nothing can be further from the truth. And this is another reason why many people mistaken the voice of men for the voice of God. Because they are enraptured by the miracles and eloquence and they readily ascribe divinity 
Even to men of shady characters. As long as those men can perform miracles. They don't care. We don't care that the man is a fornicator or an, adulator or an, or an adulterer. We don't care that he's an idolater. We don't care whether the, the means that he's using to work these miracles is not from God. As long as it's from God, we say, as long as he's working the miracles, we say, now this is a man of God. Now, I note also, I want us to note also that sadly, some pastors who are men of God in truth, haven't worked miracles, tend to ascribe this oration or this outpouring of praise upon them that they are truly uh, agents of God. As though they did it on their own. As though it is something they worked. In fact, sometimes they even teach how a miracle can be brought. As though it is something that you can work out. Not knowing that God is the one who does it through men. For example, John the Baptist was asked, the Lord Jesus Christ ascribed John the Baptist to be of all men born of women up to his, in fact, up to the time before the gospel came into full force. That he was the greatest. In other words, the Lord Jesus was saying, John the Bible was greater than Abraham, greater than David, greater than Elijah, greater than Elisha, greater than the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on and so forth. Yet we know that John the Baptist did not work one miracle and that he was actually locked up in a prison and beheaded by Herod. Yet the Lord says that man was, was the greatest that ever survived, that ever lived. And then he goes on to say that of men who are now born again in the new dispensation, they are even greater than John the Baptist. But John the Baptist did not work any miracle. The greatness that is ascribed to a man by God has very little to do with the working of miracles. It is there is a, that the criteria that God uses is different from the ones that men use. God is more interested in people who are working with him in holiness and righteousness all the days of their lives. He's more interested in people who are doing his will than people who are going about doing what they want to do. In Acts chapter 3, from verse 12 to 26, after Peter and John had healed the man who was born lame, sitting at the gate, beautiful, and the man came into the temple and praising God. And the people were astonished. And they were looking at Peter and John as though they were something other than mere men. Let's look at what Peter said from Acts chapter 3 verse 12 to 26. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us? As though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk. Why do you look at us as though we are the ones who did it? Why do you why do you want to begin to give us any special attention or any special reverence? He says, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But he denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and kill the prince of life. Whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yeah, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath 
so fulfilled. 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive unto the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall he hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Let's go to verse 4, and uh, chapter 4 rather, and let's read from verse 1 to 4 for completeness. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold, even Unto the next day, for it was now even time. Verse 4. How be it many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Brethren, miracles, signs, and wonders provide the preacher with a platform to preach Christ. It is not for them to claim any special advantage or privilege from us. We must, like Paul and Barnabas and Peter and John, stop men from treating us as gods. Indeed, we must stop this trend in our churches where people are praying in the name of Pastor so and so. In, sorry, in the name of the God of Pastor so and so. In the name of the God of Bishop so and so. In the name of the God of Apostle so and so. In the name of the God of our commission. We must stop these things. This is idolatry. This is apostasy. The Lord Jesus told us clearly, pray in the name of Jesus. Pray in my name. And Peter made clear that this man has gained his strength through faith in the name of Jesus. That is what has brought about the miracle. So let us glorify God and stop glorifying men. And men of God, I beg of you. Stop this thing that is going on in your churches. Beg the people to stop praying in the name of the God or of your God. Pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus is God. is our God. I plead. Let us beg the people. And you people simply pray in the name of Jesus. That is where the power is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 to 10. Paul, the apostle, writing about the things that befell him, wrote a very special part of that message. He said, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. 
And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Brethren, the pastor, the bishop, the apostle, the general master, the general superintendent, the senior pastor, or whatever title by which they are called, they are men. They also go through challenges. They also face their own challenges. They may not be saying it to you, but the truth of the matter is that we are all men of like passion, and we have our own challenges, our own weaknesses, our own infirmities. We are not superhuman. Let us not abuse the, the, the good thing that God is bringing and turn it into idolatry. There was a, there was a story, the story is told of Gideon. When they told Gideon to come and uh, be their leader, they said, I won't be your leader. But because of so much um, accolade on Gideon, he asked them to bring their silver. And they brought all their trinkets and silver and everything. And Gideon used it to make an idol. And the people went there to worship that idol. We need to be very careful. If God, for example, has told the man of God to use a stick as the approach by which he's going to heal people, God can do that. I'm not saying God cannot do that. After that miracle has been done, that stick should be destroyed. They don't turn the stick into something else. We know of Moses, how Moses raised the serpent up on, on a pole so that people who were beaten by snakes would be healed. And people who were beaten by snakes, they looked up to the, the, to the uh, pole and they were healed. But the people now, after Moses had died, they gathered that pole and began to worship it. In the time of King Hezekiah, Hezekiah grabbed that pole and smashed it and crushed it. He said, this is a Nehushtan. This thing has become an idol. We should not turn things into idolatry, things that God has used to bless us and turn it into an idol. There are many programs that are now idol, idol, that are now form of idol worship. Because we say, by this program, many people were healed. So what? It is God doing something and has just used the program. And then some people now go on and turn the program into something else. They would not receive anything from God from a normal service until it is that program. May God have mercy on us. Believers, I want to plead with you. The people whom God chooses to be ministers of the gospel are mere men. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, from verse 26 to verse 29. I read. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Not many great people are called. In fact, the people that are called more often than not, they are ordinary. Verse 27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world, the things that the world count to be foolish, to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, have God chosen here and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God deliberately chooses these weak things. It is a deliberate act by God so that he can prove to those people who think they are great, who think they are mighty, that I can pick people from the dunghill and make them to become powerful and a terror to Satan. Let us be content to glory in God and not ascribe any importance to ourselves or to men of God. It is this importance that we are attaching 
that is making many of us to assume that when somebody who has wrought a miracle or done one thing or the other is speaking, that God is automatically speaking. We fail to realize sometimes some of these men, after the miracles, they enter, they get back into the fleshliness of this world and begin to act like ordinary men. So let's be careful. So let us summarize and conclude on what we have discussed thus far. So why do men mistaking the voice of men for the voice of God? Number one, people assume that once a man wears the toga of man of God, of prophet, of apostle, of pastor, of reverend, and so on and so forth, he is sent by God. And that is not true. Let me read Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah 23. I just read some verses of scripture to us. And uh, we will see what God has to say about this. Jeremiah 23, verse 13 and 14. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. And they, pro they prophesied in Baal and caused my people Israel to end. So the prophets of Samaria, they were prophesying, using an idol by an idol. And they caused the people to err, that is, to go away, to go astray from God. In verse 14, he talked of Israel. At least the prophets of Samaria, we know at that time they were idol worshippers. But what are the ones of, of Israel? In verse 14, he says, I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem an horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. These are prophets of God. By the way, the Bible makes it clear that when a man is married and his wife is divorced from him and he marries another woman, he is committing adultery and he causes his wife, whom he has set aside, who is now married to somebody else, to commit adultery also. So if a pastor is in a second marriage, he's an adulterer. That's what God is saying here. He said the prophets commit adultery. Many of them are married to different women. Whilst their wives are still alive. Is adultery. He said they walk in lies. So much lies being told by so-called pastors. All in the name of wanting to give testimonies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none doth return from his wickedness. You say to the man who is wicked that it is well with you. So he continues in iniquity. He does not repent. They are all of them unto us, unto me rather, as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. This is God speaking. These are people who say they are prophets. This is God's verdict on them. In verse 16 through to verse 18, the same Jeremiah 23, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. Anybody, I've said this, anybody can preach from the Bible. Anybody can use the Bible, twist it and say whatever I want to say. The Bible says here that they make the people vain by the things that they are preaching. When you begin to chase after vanities based on a message that you have heard, that message has made you vain. It has made you empty. It has made your life meaningless. There are many, there are some pastors today, all they can talk about is how to make money. That is not the word of God. They make you vain. They talk about amorous things and lewd things. Talking about marriage. I, I, I heard one who was going so explicit about, about uh, sexual acts. And that was in a church. And people were hailing that person. They made them vain. I heard once of a female minister, so she said she was, who was encouraging people to get into worldly sexual acts. 
to rekindle their marriage. He encouraged them to go and buy pornographic videos so that they can watch husband and wife. And I'm wondering, where did this fellow get this thing from? Doesn't this, don't these people read the Bible? I believe it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, from verse 3 down, that the Bible makes it clear that sanctification is the will of God and that each man should know how to possess his vessel in honor, not as the Gentiles do. In verse 17 of Jeremiah 23. They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, ye shall have peace. That's what we said earlier. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. How do you do that? How do you go to a governor who has not yet paid salaries to, his, to the workers in the state and tell that governor it is well with you? How do you do such a thing? How can you not tell this man that what he's doing is evil? That it is wicked? That you have people in your state who are not being paid and they are coming to work and you can actually sit and collect your own salary? Verse 18. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? Let's skip to verse 21 and, and you'll see the answer for verse 18. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Because I didn't speak to them, I didn't tell them anything. But they went ahead and began to say things that I didn't say. But, but if they had stood in my counsel, if they had stood there, if they had stood with me in the place of prayer, in the place of intercession, as Abraham stood with God when he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and as a result, Lot was free, and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil ways and from the evil of their doings. Isn't it a sad, uh, 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 what do you call them, a sad testimony? That in many communities there are churches and yet iniquity abounds. Not so much iniquity in the community, that is, that is to be expected. But that the iniquity is in the church. What are we preaching? What are we teaching? The fact that somebody says he's an apostle does not mean that he's speaking by the voice of God. Second, people assume that once a person speaks what we call, what we may call Christianese, that is a Christian cliche, like praise the Lord, God is good, glory be to God, all is well, it shall be well with me, and so on and so forth, that that person is a Christian, or that that person is a man of God. Or when he speaks in tongues, especially with easily identifiable syllables, we say, now that is a man of God, that tongue is strong, or, or he shakes near to foaming at the mouth, that God is speaking through him, then we say, yes, this person, God is speaking through this person. Nothing can be further from the truth. It has nothing to do with physical appearance. It has nothing to do with the way we are speaking. Because people can fake these things. So don't be deceived. Prove all things. Thirdly, why do we mistake in the voice of men for the voice of God? People readily buy into unverified testimonies of so-called prophets. I am not saying that every testimony that men of God give is, 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 is false. But, you know, we need to be able to verify Especially if you are in a particular church, there are people who would know that this thing was so. So you should, you should be able to verify that. Don't go and, and verify something and then you see somebody, you don't know him from anywhere. And they begin to tell you, yes, so and so I did this, yes, so and so I did this. And you buy into it and you are easily deceived. Be careful. And even if he tells that testimony and it sounds plausible, please verify who this man is. We have said that in the, in the last broadcast, test for fruit. Don't be, don't be moved by leaves. Test for fruit. Test for fruit. 
Test for the, the character in his life. Don't be moved by activities. Why do men, mistaking the voice of men for the voice of God? Fourthly, people assume that if majority are saying the same thing or doing the same thing, then it must be God who is saying it or doing it. Nothing can be further from the truth. Indeed, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul writing says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. I'm not going to put myself in that category. I'm not going to bind myself together with those people who just commend themselves, give themselves accolades. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. They have set a standard amongst themselves. And they want to live by that standard. And as long as you fall into that standard, you are one of them. We form Christian associations based on those parameters. And we say, yes, we are this, 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 these are our own people. And we are happy with that. We set up criteria for ordaining people, pastors, and ordaining people, bishops. Not according to the word of God, but according to our own standards. Standards like number of, uh, the, the, the number of people in the church. The amount of tithes and offerings. The number of years that the fellow has been there. Answer all manner of criteria. If we, if if God had used that criteria, Paul would never have been a, 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 a foremost apostle. Let us be careful. Majority engaging in activity does not mean that God sanctions such activity. Two classical examples: Christmas and Easter. God does not sanction those things. We are the ones who just bring these things up. I can understand we want to have a holiday, have a holiday, but please. Don't come and tell us Jesus is the reason for the season. What season? Throughout his earthly stay, not once was it recorded in any of the four Gospels that he celebrated his birth. Not once. And after his demise, after he died and, and ascended to heaven, not once was it written by any of the apostles that they were rushing to go and celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, we know that once Paul said he was rushing quickly so that he can celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem. But that was all. But that they celebrated the birth of Christ, never. It never happened. So why are we doing this? This is idolatry. By any yard of your imagination, the fact that the whole world is celebrating Christmas does not mean that God sanctions it. What of Easter? Easter has become something that many people are, are killing themselves on now. And yet, we now have Easter eggs, we have Easter bunny, and all kinds of things taking place. These are clearly idolatrous practices that originated from Northern Europe. You need to go and do some studies. And you will see that we have just brought in syncretism with the church of God. Into the church of God, rather. So let's be careful. The fact that majority say or do does not mean that it is God doing it or saying it. Indeed, I've heard this saying, one with God is majority. Number five, why is it that men mistaking the voice of men for the voice of God? People believe that if it is good, it is God. And that if it is God, it is good. By the way, that saying has no basis in scripture. Because, for example, when we look at the life of Job, what was good about the things that happened to Job? We know, with the benefit of hindsight, that Job was being tested. And it was a contest between God and Satan. And Job just happened to be the specimen that was going to be used to prove that Job is not serving God for nothing. Or to prove whether Job is serving God for nothing or not. And we saw how God eventually blessed Job after he went through the, the travel that he went through. What of Lazarus and the rich man as told by the Lord Jesus Christ? 
The Bible makes it clear to us that you can be rich and go to heaven. And you can be poor and go to heaven. It has nothing to do with how much money you have. So let's stop preaching this prosperity message. This if it is good, it is God. If it is God, it is good. The Bible makes it clear that suffering is part of the gospel. Indeed, in Romans chapter 8, and in verse 17 of Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, And if children, then heirs, that's talking about the believer, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glory, that we may be also glorified together. If we suffer with Christ, we will be glorified with him. The man who does not want to suffer cannot be glorified with Christ. It's simple. So suffering is a part of the gospel. So when we hear people coming to tell us nice things, nice things, and we say, oh, that's definitely the voice of God. Something is wrong somewhere. Somebody comes to prophesy that you'll be promoted. When you know all the queries that you have in the office, and they are genuine queries, it's not that they, 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 they meant something wrong for you. And the man is saying that you'll be promoted. And you also need to sit down and ask, can, can, is, is God uh, unrighteous? In Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, the Bible says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, that is, troubles or trials also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Tribulation worketh patience in us. In verse 4, it says, And patience experience or character, and character experience hope. Hope not to be ashamed of. Hope that will not make us to be ashamed. We're able to hinge ourselves on God. Because God would use these trials, these problems, these challenges of life, to build us up, to build in us patience, long-suffering. To build in us character and integrity. So that we will stand regardless of the challenges that we face. Number six, and the final one. Why is it that people mistaken the voice of men for the voice of God? People assume that once a person can do something which they cannot explain, then the doer must be from God. But by this token, by this token, a magician then is of God. Because magicians do things that we can't, we, some of us can't even explain it. What of tricksters? What of con men? What of people who are using satanic powers? What the Bible calls lying wonders? Are they from God? Absolutely not. So the fact that somebody is working a miracle does not mean that it's from God. We need, to, we need to look at the content of his life, the content of his doctrine, the content of his belief, and not be deceived. What we must do, regardless of the miracle signs and wonders, is to always seek God's face on every matter. Regardless of who these people are, regardless of what they are doing, regardless of how we may perceive them or how people may perceive them, let us make it a point to seek the face of God on every matter that is spoken to you and I. In our next broadcast, we shall be looking at the reverse, which would be, why do men mistaken the voice of God for the voice of man. Now we have, we have seen why men mistaking the voice of men for the voice of God. The next time we come, we shall be looking at why men mistaking the voice of God for the voice of man. But before we go, I want us to pray for discernment, to pray for the mortifying of the flesh so that we are not deceived. And then to pray that God will give unto us the mind of Christ. We, even though I'm saying let us pray, these are things that ought to be there. So basically we are praying for the manifestation of these things in our lives. We need discernment to be able to discern who is of God and who is not of God. We need to mortify the flesh so that we are not easily carried away 
by the desires of the flesh. We need the mind of Christ so that we can know what is of God and not of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 to 16, and we close with this scripture by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 to 16. The Bible says, but as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, ye the deep things of God. God will reveal things to you and I by his Spirit. Even when his messengers come to us, his general messengers come to us and give us the word of God, let us make it a point of duty to seek confirmation from God. Verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man by the spirit of God. If the spirit of God is in you, you will know the things of God. I can understand those who are babes in Christ. And by the way, if you're a baby in Christ, you are not supposed to remain a baby in Christ forever. You're supposed to grow. A baby in Christ needs to hear somebody tell him, go and do this, go and do this, go and do that. He's a baby. But then he must grow so that he's not deceived, which is the work of the pastor. Because the Bible makes it clear that in, in Ephesians chapter 4, we're not going to read that, that the role of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and teacher is to be able to build up the body of Christ, to be able to teach the, the word of God to those who are members of the body of Christ so that they will no longer be like babies tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the slight of, of cunning craftiness by deceitful men by which they want to deceive us. So you, you may be a babe and be told things fine, but you need to grow and get into maturity where the Spirit of God will now speak to you and you will understand and know that this is the Spirit of God speaking to me. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. We have not received the spirit of the world. We have not received the spirit of the world so that we will begin to act the way the world acts. We have received the spirit of God. He said, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. There are things that God has given us as we inquire. As the Spirit of God speaks to our hearts, we will know the things that have been freely given to us. Which things also we speak, not in the words, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. These things are spiritual, so we need to be spiritual to receive these things. We cannot be carnal and receive these things. In verse 14 it says, But the natural man, or the carnal man, or the fleshly man, or the man of the earth, as, as the Bible calls those people in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verse um, 18 and 19. It says, the man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He cannot receive it. He can't receive the Word of God. He can't receive what God is saying. Because it's natural. And what God is saying is spiritual. He says, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. He can't know them. So we need to get out of this Natural, this natural way of doing things, this carnality that we are all embedded in, and get into the spiritual. We need to get into praying in the spirit. A lot of our prayers in understanding actually sways us away from what God wants us to pray about. But when we pray in the spirit, we are praying the very mind of God. In verse 15 says, But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. He that is spiritual can discern, he can attest. All things, but is not judged of any man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ, not to instruct the Lord, 
But to know the will of God, to know the counsel of God, to know if the man who is speaking to me is speaking by the Spirit of God or is speaking by another spirit. To know if the words that I'm hearing is of God or not of God. Brethren, let us pray and ask God for discernment. Let us pray and ask God to mortify the flesh. Let us pray and ask God to fill us with the mind of Christ. To remove this mind of the world and put in us the mind of Christ. That we might know all that God wants us to know. God bless you. God bless you.